Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, the producer of the show. Really happy to have you here today. Today we have a self-pres Enneagram 1 Wing 2. Chris Cook, you can hear him on his podcast, Win Today, with Christopher Cook on all platforms. And he is also a featured writer for Success Magazine, and he is a life coach. Well-versed in the Enneagram, we get into numbers and subtypes and countertypes today and have a really interesting conversation where it uh, ends up landing. So anyway, you're going to enjoy this one. And without any further ado, here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Chris Cook, self-preservation one with a two wing. Welcome to Typology Improver. Thrilled to be here. It's a delight, man. I am so excited to have a one on the show today. I, I almost always get, uh, you know, little DMs and other stuff from uh, ones and nines, which is, you know, why have you not had an, more ones on, you know? <laughs> yep. And, and yeah. so you're, you're my, my response to <laughs> my reply to all, all those ones who deservedly so uh, should have more ones uh, 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 part of what we do, yeah. what we do. Mm-hmm. Chris, you're a podcaster. You're a one-on-one coach. Yeah. Uh, you host that show, which is called Win Today sure with, with Christopher Cook. And um, I'm thrilled to have a, a one on the show, as I mentioned, but I'm really excited to have you on because you have a, a really uh, interesting story with the Enneagram. And uh, you are really familiar with it, and not all guests are. Um, so, so Chris, tell me how you learned about the Enneagram. How, and then let's 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 jump into uh, your story after that. So let's 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 because uh, I want to highlight that. Jump in. Yeah, cool. So I first heard of the Enneagram in gosh, late twenty sixteen early 2017, friends and mentors of mine named Jamie and Donna Winship, uh, they live in the West Coast, had uh, just spent some time with us, with our team. And Donna said one time, you've got to check out the Enneagram. And I said, the who? And uh, like many, I saw the, uh, the Enneagram shape. And at first I was like, no way, <laughs> you know? And uh, I gave it a shot and it was amazing. And then, after having taken the first assessment, Ian, I was I was unsure, but I was really intrigued. I read your book. So your book was actually my first entrance into the Enneagram and the road back to you was the game changer for me because it put things down on a level I, I could not only understand, but then I could relate to my own life experiences. Um, from that point, I just dove in with both feet and uh, read uh, Riso and Hudson's the Wisdom of the Enneagram, read both of Chris Hewart's books. You were on my podcast. I've had Hewart's on my show. And it's just been this discovery. And as a Christian, I'll say this. My relationship with the Lord has improved so much because the Enneagram have, has been this navigating tool by which I'm, I'm saying, okay, now I understand in a better way how I hear him and how I relate to myself, how I uncover these subconscious motivations of perhaps believed lies, 
to step in my true identity. So that's the nickel and dime tour of my experience. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you mentioned, uh, you know, these, uh, these unconscious motivations because in my new book, which will be out next year, uh, one of the things that uh, I, I try to help people understand is that the unconscious motivation is a lie. Yes. And and that lie, uh, we know it's a lie because it is in direct opposition to the story of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a one to believe uh, unconsciously that you need to be perfect and to perfect the world in order to uh, have a sense of control and mastery and to find love, that's a lie. It, you mm-hmm. know, if you're a two, you don't need to meet the needs of others in order to be loved. You, you know, if you're a for as a three, you don't have to succeed, uh, and uh, mm. in in order to be loved, and so that I can go on through all nine types. But but uh, so the key for transformation is is really in part uh, raising into conscious awareness what the unconscious motivation that has been the lie mm-hmm. that that has governed your life from the shadows is so much a piece of uh, the the healing journey, you know, such a big piece. Okay, so um, you uh, are a self-preservation one, but that was not always your belief. So let's let's hit that and and how that happened. Oh, Ian, and and direct me on how you want to go about this, but I'll just say this. Um, When I first took the Enneagram assessment, which is not the latest assessment I took, I typed as a six. And because I didn't know a ton about the Enneagram, I just went, oh, this is cool. Hmm. So as a disc coach, I went, okay, this makes sense because I'm a high C, high S on the disc. So okay, hmm. six. But as I began to dive in, Ian, um, I sort of said, okay, I guess this is it. I see a lot of motivation in my life where I'm motivated by fear, fear to self-protect, fear to control. I'm the ready, aim, 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 maybe fire guy. So, so I related a lot to that. Um, but I could never reconcile the wings. And so I, as I dove into the Enneagram, I said, okay, I get the six piece, but I can't reconcile either of these wings. So it left me in this place of saying, hmm, I wonder if I really am a six and just left it there. I suppose in many ways, I told a good friend of mine, I tried to force my way into a wing seven box. You know, if I'm on staycation, if I'm enjoying life, then I found my more spontaneous nature come out. And there are parts of the five that are related to, I'm very detail oriented. But in some aspects of, I don't know if it's fair to say, parts of a, of a five that are impersonal, I could never relate to that because I love people. Mm-hmm. So I found myself caught in this tension of saying, okay, in many ways, I understand that my dominant type is the wrestle between these two wings. But I just, I struggled to reconcile either five or a, a seven wing in. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really glad you're saying all this. Here's why. Um, Number one, tests are great data points, Mm -hmm. but they are not uh, 
definitive. In other words, the only person who can truly determine their type or the only measure that determines type is self-verification. Mm-hmm. So the person has to look at that as a data point and go, hmm, good start. But if you have an intuition that, oh, I just feel like there's some piece of this that's not fitting, mm-hmm. then the journey has to continue. Mm-hmm. So and true. so you either have to find a Enneagram coach or Enneagram-based therapist or whatever your person is, an expert, uh, who can go over the results with you and figure it out. Or you have to take responsibility for it yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And and this is why it's important to know all nine types, right? Uh, so fantastic. It's a good data point for all of our people to know that, okay? But this story gets even more interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, so finish it for people. If it'd be helpful, I could kind of back up into my story. Yes, totally. Which would inform some of that. And, uh, and and stop me if I get a little too nerdy because I love what I've done, Ian and Anthony, in this journey is I've incorporated a lot of neuroscience into this, mm. which has both confirmed where I really believe I, I sit in the Enneagram and then helped me to unpack the subconscious motivations mm. that sort of lit up the tendencies of a dominant Enneagram type. So Right. Geek away. Cool. Yeah. So- I had an awesome childhood. Uh, It was my sister and me raised by wonderful parents. I grew up with this great fascination to ask people questions. I had a microphone in my hand since the age of three. I love asking people questions. I'm a curious type. And at the same time, I'll tell you guys this. uh, One of the first things I saved up for as a little boy was a pleather briefcase, not a leather one, a pleather, (laughs) the plastic leather hybrid, because I wanted to keep all my papers in there because that paperwork was orders, details, blueprints, and how I would help people. So I've always had this this desire to say to people, share share your vision with me and I'm going to draw the blueprint up. It's what I do as a coach today, as a pastor today. I want to make people's lives better. I want to say, I see a complexity in your life and I want to help you navigate through that. Not tell you what to do, but help you think, help you understand in a way that that processes to a place of self-discovery. So I've always had that. Back to the story. Um, Early on in life, though, there were some adverse childhood experiences that many would be familiar with. My parents divorced. That was really hard as, as a young boy. But then a couple of years, my mom was diagnosed with incurable cancer, multiple myeloma. And as a young boy, it was shocking. But then after 18 years of battling cancer, mm. it became normalized in the disposition through which I thought about my life, others, life itself, the nature of the Lord. And because of the extent of time, it created this lens through which I looked. You know, I've heard it say said that we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. Mm-hmm. So how was I? Scared? <laughs> Perhaps because of how early this happened. And this is no one's fault. This is the subconscious narrative. This is the tape, right? Oh, if mom and dad got divorced and if mom got cancer when I was a little boy, 
that must tell me I'm abandoned. That must tell me I have to self-protect. That must tell me that I have to do good in order to be received as good. That also must tell me that if I make a mistake, maybe I am a mistake. Because, mm -hmm. because if I was really loved, these things wouldn't be happening in my life. And so from a neuroscience perspective, now as an adult, I've learned that the subconscious is largely programmed from ages zero to seven. Yes. Mm -hmm. Trauma lives in the limbic system and the subconscious mind is a million times more powerful than the conscious. Mm -hmm. So no matter how great the goals I set before me, mm. no matter how hard I work, if the subconscious is saying, you have to work to earn approval and love from others. You have to work to belong. It's those early adverse childhood experiences that perhaps informed those, those fear-based motivations. Now, yes. having said that, I, I think I want to say that what happened in me is through those adverse childhood experiences, I had events that then said, you're not worthy of belonging and love. So I then adopted false identities that were motivated by fear, shame, and guilt. So my default narrative was either to self-protect or self-promote in life. And for me, it was self-protection. So all of those things were driving the bus in my life. And then as I became an adult, so many of those subconscious motivations, I wore them like a glove and then that got normalized. And I went, I don't know the difference between my true self and my shadow self. Because I've been living according to the subconscious narrative for so long. Yes. That now the first time I encountered in this conversation, the Enneagram, guess what? It's my personal belief that my subconscious narrative fed by a false identity lit up the Enneagram in an untrue way. Right. And it wasn't until I found healing for the broken spirit and received my true identity that all of a sudden, when I typed, it better aligned with my true self. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So um, it's interesting about self-pres ones. Yeah. Um, as you know, I call uh, these uh, ones the improvers now uh, versus the the perfectionists, and and. Uh, you know, if you, these self-pres ones are the onest of the ones. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes that subtype is, you know, we have signifiers for subtypes, right? And uh, we would say that the subtype of one is called worry. It's called worry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, they, uh, like any self-pres type, they care a lot about safety, uh, security, uh, and comfort and getting the basic needs of life met. Mm -hmm. um, when uh, the uh, self-type one, you know, how do I want to say it? It is notorious for self-preservation ones to initially be typed as sixes. Whoa. It's just a, it's a fact in the literature. It is notorious for self-preservation ones to initially be typed as sixes. It's just a, it's a fact in the literature. So that, you know, Whoa. totally yeah, the familiar. fact of the literature, because both types tend to be anxious warriors. Mm -hmm. 
okay, who often become physically tense, uh, resentful, uh, judgmental uh, a lot of the time towards those who are not as concerned about personal survival as they are. Okay. Uh, and the sense of responsibility um, that in, in the concern that they won't be able to uh, fulfill their obligations. Mm. Right. Uh, and so anger gets triggered if someone or something real or imagined uh, threatens personal survival. Right. And so, and I'd say that more than anything else, this reveals uh, how the anger, the, the self-pressed one feels toward themselves mm. for not being perfect and so therefore true. worthy of survival. Right. Uh, they're the most perfectionistic. They're the most controlling, typically, of the of the three ones. And their inner critic is harder on them than it is for the other two ones. Okay. And uh, for those of you who are not watching uh, this, but listening to it, uh, Chris is nodding his head enthusiastically <laughs> right. as, I, as I read this, right? Yep. So for self-pressed ones, the passion of anger is, the, like, is most repressed and least visible because they're really experts at masking it. So compared to the other subtype of ones, like for like, it's hard to see anger in that self-pressed one. It's very masked because they want to be good. Yeah. And, and so they don't want us to see it for the social one. Anger is kind of half masked and I'm not going to go into why, but, but for the sexual one, it's barely masked at all. You, so you see how Anthony, mm, like it's so important. Totally, yes. Everyone, by the way, thinks of ones when they think of a one, they think of a self-pressed one, right? They don't know there's two other ones, right? And, and that they, they appear, they present very, very differently. Yes. Um, so, you know, a, a self-pressed one could be furious with you, but hide it be behind a thin-lipped smile because it's so repressed. They don't want anyone to see it, including themselves. Mm -hmm. And because it's so repressed, it leaks out sideways, mm -hmm. and they just sort of radiate the, the feeling of resentment to other people. In, in an unconscious way, but it's because it's so repressed. Um, and so part of the journey for the self-pressed one is uh, allowing their anger to become visible mm. because then all that repressed resentment and energy would be dissipated and they would just move through the world in a more healthy way. Chris, did you have that experience where people were perceiving you being angry when you didn't even know you were? No, actually what's interesting. Ah, uh, let me walk that back. Here's what I do know, Anthony. Y'all nailed it. The inner critic in the one is more dominant than the inner committee in what I thought was a six. So mm. because of it, I'm so much harder on myself. Mm. And my love for people says, oh, it's it must be your fault, Chris. So the internal turmoil and the self-hate has been riled up to such a notch that I may put on the smile and, you know, my, my closest friends and family know when I'm irritated, mm -hmm. but I take it out on myself and I'll just add this really quickly. I'll sprinkle this in. I believe that was the driver that uncorked an autoimmune disease nine months after my mom died. Mm. It's the body attacking mm. itself. Wow. Right. And that's trauma. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which is, part of the, which is part of the reason I was excited about this conversation, because how many questions do we get about the Enneagram of trauma? Oh, 
constantly. It's constant. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Right. Uh, partly because, you know, we all have an elevated awareness now about trauma. So mm -hmm. many, so many books have been out about trauma. Mm -hmm. Bessel van der Kolk's book, uh, the body keeps the score, which is mm -hmm. what you're describing. This is the, how the body book. keeps yeah. the score and countless others. And so, uh, because of that, people want to know, well, how does trauma affect type? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and what I hear you saying, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that trauma in part uh, was what made it difficult for you to determine type. Most definitely, Ian. Yeah. I, and, and I would even say I'm grateful to you because as I, as I listen to typology, I love that you're one of the only ones that labels the Enneagram one, the improver and not the perfectionist. Hmm. Because perfectionism, the antithesis of excellence, is totally directed at myself. Mm. If I do well, I am worthy of love and belonging. That to me right. is a perfectionist motivation. Whereas the improver says, my motivation is I'm going to be my best for those who matter most. Therefore, I can operate from a place of wholeness and sufficiency instead of operating from a place of deficiency. Mm. Mm. Good. So good. And you actually just highlighted another thing about subtypes. I'm going to be a little, I'm not going to be quiet about subtypes. It's important. It's but the, for the one, they're very concerned. The self-pressed one is very concerned about perfecting themselves, improving themselves. Interesting fact, the two biggest numbers that listen to our shows, buy our products, do different things. Number one is nines. The second one is ones. It's, it's amazing. Not, you know, we just had someone on a nine on the show. I should have mentioned this, Anthony, that, mm -hmm. for example, when we sell a course, right. they invariably are the number, take the highest number of all the other eight, and in terms of sales, the nine doubles it. If, if, if we sell a thousand yeah. courses to a five, it's 2,000 to a nine. It's just, it's crazy, wow. right? The number one, the number two number that, that listens and is in on what we do is our one. So the self-preservation one is very concerned about perfecting themselves. I'm going to make this very, very simplistic. The social one is interested in modeling perfection for other people, mm. right? Uh, and they can therefore feel okay in expressing their anger a little bit more than the self-pres one towards those who don't dig the what they're doing they're modeling they're teaching the the sexual one or one-to-one one, -to -one, one uh, is much more concerned about perfecting others hmm. and and therefore feel justified in criticizing others who don't live up to that standard but they're less concerned about perfecting themselves right so they have a quieter inner critic than you do this is why this stuff's so important yeah oh. This is why it's so important. Okay, I'm talking too much. Um, I have so, a question. Sure. I I was just wondering, um, Chris, you said you talked about the 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 inner critic and leading to this intense self hatred and kind of ratcheting it up. Yeah. How has the revelation of you being a self pres one? How has it helped you with empathy toward yourself? How has it helped you deal with that critic? The day I took the IEQ nine, mm. I, I I got an email actually from um, two of the leaders at IEQ nine, and we had this brilliant exchange back and forth. And I ended up taking it, and um, I'll be okay. 
this is interesting. When I got my results, I emailed them right back. I was like, I'm a six. What are you talking about? This must be wrong. Then I read it and I read, in fact, I have it right here. I'll tell you guys, um, when it's talking about worldview, focus of attention, core fears, et cetera, I wept and I wept. Can you read it? And I wept. I'd be happy to. Is there, is there a little section of it that, 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 that you could read? Oh, I know that for sure. Ian, here it is. This is the IEQ nine description of my core fear, which read my mail and poked. It popped the balloon guys. Hmm. The core fear of the self-preservation Enneagram one is that there is something intrinsically wrong with you being defective. And here it is not good enough. Well, guess what? That confirmed the narrative I had in the subconscious beliefs since a little boy, mom and dad wouldn't have gotten divorced and mom wouldn't have gotten cancer. And then later died 18 years later when we were believing for a miracle, if there was something worthy of me being loved, I couldn't separate the two. Hmm. And so yes. it's those early things that drove that. Now, here it is. This is fascinating. The gifts that the self-preservation one Enneagram bring to the table to the world, goodness, dignity, and this word literally makes me emotional. Wholeness. Mm -hmm. It's the passion of my message. It's the passion of what I do to help people. Mm. Hey, Anthony. Hey, Ian. You know I've been working on my latest book, right? I sure do. Well, part of my process is researching topics related to my content. Okay. But as you can imagine, there are tons of resources out there. So let me tell you about one of my ultimate life hacks. Tell us all about it. It's called Blinkist. If you haven't heard of it, Blinkist takes the best need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I like Blinkist because it quickly gives me the main points of a book, which helps me evaluate which books I want to make time to read in full later and which ones to prioritize now for the projects I'm working on. And since Blinkist works on my phone, my tablet, or in a web browser, I use it anywhere, whether I'm traveling, making breakfast, working out, you name it. I've listened to and highly recommend Daniel Nettles' book, Personality, and Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. I love both of them. You can even read or listen to the key takeaways from The Road Back to You by yours truly. Everybody needs that book. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want and all for one low price. Now check this out. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our Typology audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Typology, try it free for seven days, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Typology, that's T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y, to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash typology. You know, what's so beautiful is you're, you're also making it uh, clear to people. And I hope, hope everyone hears this, that often fours initially may think that they're ones. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and of course, fours go to the healthy side of one 
right? That, that's where they move on their arrow. Um, but that I'd say that next to ones, fours have the loudest inner critic. So, uh, but for different reasons, right? But but they have a very strong inner critic uh, that that reinforces the message of shame for for the four. Mm. Um, and uh, so, I'm I'm really glad you said that because what you were describing just then, a four would very much resonate with. Mm. No, mm-hmm. the sense of the fatal flaw. What's wrong with me? They can't name it. Right. You know, all they could say is, "If I were only a better." kid this wouldn't have happened but they don't know how to define better it's like well what what about me is broken that if it were fixed would make me better right Mm. so i mean all right so you had this awakening oh my gosh i'm a a self-pres one yeah um how has that because i know that for you you're all about these maps to wholeness Right. Creating maps to wholeness, not not only for yourself, but for others as a coach. Right. 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 I want to know two things from you. How have you used it as a map to wholeness on your own spiritual journey? And then I want, well, let's start with this question. Then that'll be the second one. Okay. What does wholeness mean? That's a word that everyone uses. But if you said to them, all right, define it, they'd kind of go, well, you know, I can feel what it is, but I don't quite know how to say it. So can you articulate it? I'd love to for me and how I coach people into a place of wholeness it's simply an integrated life it's congruence Mm. between our true identity our spiritual self our emotional health and our physical health we are triune beings we're spirit soul body we are a spirit we have a soul we live in a body the deepest part of our being i believe is spirit and that for those who are listening or watching who are Christians, you may have heard this word Ruach, the Ruach of God breathed life into our being and gave us life. It is that spirit that is the deepest part of our being. And I've found for me, Ian, that when that human spirit was broken because of undealt with hurt, pain, trauma, loss, isolation, that steered me in a fear, shame, control, fear, shame, guilt, motivation. Mm. So back to your question, Number one, wholeness is, I believe, living an integrated life between our truest self and our true identity and our emotional health and our physical health. I think think scripture confirms it when we read things like, beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health even as your soul prospers. Well, there you have the soul and physical health handshake, if you will. And so that's how I would define wholeness. Yeah. Mm. Now I'm going to push you on something else and I want to talk about trauma because you've used another word that I think people need clarity on that they think they know how to define, but don't integrate it. For me, integrated is if I were to meter my, if I were to look at perhaps like a dashboard, if you will, and I were to get up every day and sense and rather ask myself questions, maybe ask the Lord questions and have this dialogue, for instance, um, Lord, I'm coming to you in truth. And right now I, I have this deep sense of insecurity. Lord, I know myself and I can feel like I'm just working harder than I need to, to get other people's approval, or I'm deeply frustrated about this. Lord, I'm really, really irritated that this happened. And it feel like, it feels like there's been no resolve to it. I'm going to go to the Lord and, and, and enter into a place of dialogue 
and in my spiritual life, Lord, what do you say? Lord, what do you want me to know about this that I don't currently know that it's going to help transpose my default narrative? I think we see it like if we read 1 Samuel chapter 30, David inquired of the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord, but he inquired, Lord, should I do this? Lord, will this work? You know, he rejected the false narrative of fear The driver of fear instead said, Lord, what do you want me to know? Lord, what do you know that I need to know today? So that's the spirit side. The emotional side is also with the Lord or with a counselor, um, support group, whatever. I'll use grief as, as an example. I think one of the things that is detrimental to people is is not dealing with losses, like ungrieved losses and unresolved disappointment. Going, ah, that just happens. And we suppress it, right? And because we don't grieve, guess what happens to the trauma and the the physiological stress? Well, it just sits in our cells and sits in our body. We've got to we've got to deal with that stuff. You know, the Bible says that that laughter is like good medicine. Well, there's 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 that connection again. We're we're talking about integration between my emotional health. I'll I'll say it this way. When I'm feeling good and when I've got a spirit of joy about me, I believe it's right. sending congruent waves to my, my, my brainstem that then causes the brainstem to release chemicals into my body that are coherent and correlated with the same emotion I'm feeling. In the, in the same way, if I'm full of jealousy and anger and wrath, incoherent communication paths are sent to my brainstem and in the mm. same way, negative chemicals through the hypothalamus are being sent into my body causing stress. So there's the integration between spirit and emotional. Now, how does the physical health come into play? Well, I believe we can, we're designed to move number one, but number two, I think we need to eat food that is alive and living that complements the chemicals that are running through our body, you know? And I, I can't dive too deeply on this for the sake of time, but I I just would say that when we eat living food, when we take care of ourselves, when we move, when we exercise, when we sweat, when we get the body moving as it's designed to move, I believe it also releases chemicals that are going to aid us emotionally. You know, like walking and running, I've heard, releases more endorphins and stimulates serotonin just as an antidepressant medication does. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. So, I apologize if I've if I've been long winded. No, no, but. it's no, it's it's great, and I I think um, it's <clears throat> like uh, I've heard people say, and I think it's a fascinating idea. And I, you know, the nice thing about the enneagram is it's a malleable system, right? You can mm-hmm. come at it from mm-hmm. multiple directions and, and multiple, you know, in one person, right. You, you can use it in different ways. Mm-hmm. I, I know that some, some teachers would say that your type is determined by the first trauma you experienced in life. Right. So it's not just hardwiring, but your response to trauma, right. Largely determines the type toward which you gravitate as a little child, mm-hmm. as a, as a way of coping in, in the world. So, in, in uh, defining trauma would be very complicated. Let, let's put it this way. Uh, trauma is the result of an extraordinary stressful event 
that shatters your sense of security and safety and makes you feel isolated and, and helpless in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it, the, the, the symptoms of it can be uh, anxiety, depression, um, you know, upsetting emotions, uh, flashbacks of the event, right? Uh, that just won't go away. Now, um, there's two kinds of trauma. There's a one-time event trauma, right? You, you have an accident, you witness a violent crime, you, you know, it's a one-time event. That's easier to treat than what's called complex trauma. Yes. And complex trauma is an ongoing, relentless stress, like growing up in a violent neighborhood or growing up with an alcoholic parent where every single day there's unpredictability and, and things you have to be ready for. Or, you know, so actually complex trauma is like a Chinese water torture. You know, it's just drip by drip every day, you know, eroding the rock of safety and security. Uh, whereas complex trauma, I mean, one one time trauma is, you know, a single event. Right. And uh, and to your point, trauma happens when your brain is unable to integrate the experience into the whole person. It can't you have no folder. There's no folder big enough to get it into among all the other folders in your files, mm, file right. system, in your brain. Think of your brain as filing systems. And there's just one thing and it gets stuck in the reptilian brain, which that's is it. the fight or flight part of the brain. And that's why EMDR, brain spotting, these kinds of technologies, uh, which can take your prefrontal cortex offline yeah. so that you can access the trauma and then reintegrate it. In, or integrate it, I should say, for the first time into a place where it, it we would say the, in therapy, we call it exploding the memory capsule so yeah. that it's, it's no longer in control of you, your way of reacting and responding to life as a whole. And, and so, again, I, I just go into that because so many of our, our listeners ask about trauma. And I think mm. one of the cool things is, is you've had you've grown in your awareness in your own personal life where you understand it as integrating the, the, the multiple dimensions of the human person. And, and one of the words that came to me as you were speaking is that it's uh, not just an integrated self, but a reconciled self. It, yeah. it, it, you know, it's a self that has reconciled themselves to this happened. And it no because I've done my work of grieving of um, maybe work in psychodrama or whatever. I'm sure you've done some of these things in your own counseling work, et cetera, yeah. where where it's like it no longer has the emotional charge mm-hmm. that was uh, governing my life uh, for for so long. And yeah. uh, and no wonder you're self-pres and no wonder you thought you were a six who was always predicting, yeah. you know, what could happen next, because. That's what traumatized people do regardless of type. Right. Exactly. You know, regardless of type, that's what happens. So um, I have have a question I'm asking every type right now. I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily a five love languages guy, right? But as a one on the Enneagram, I want to know what you think the love language for most ones you might speculate is, right? And do you have a story about it? So like... I don't want you to use the five love, love languages as your, you know, your choice, your menu. Just, I don't care what you say. You know, it's like for you personally, forget 
the, that whole thing. Just what is your love language? And do you have a story to kind of communicate it? Mm. I have many stories around this similar experience. And it's when people look me in the eye, tell me they appreciate me, that I did a great job, that I'm valuable to them, that I mean a lot to them. Mm especially when it comes from father figures. Mm -hmm. I've been told that every little boy needs to hear that number one, he's deeply loved mm -hmm. and number two, that he has what it takes. Well, guess what? It's those two communications that fill my tank to overflow. Mm. And I've had some key people in my life at key times in my life that have done exactly that. And it's been a game changer. It actually causes me to relax, to breathe, to stop working for the very thing that I already had, which was inherent love and belonging. And cause me to just enjoy the presence of others and enjoy my life in a more meaningful way. Mm. I think, uh, beautiful. Do you have a story? Yeah, one of one of which happened um, a couple of years ago, and I was in counseling. Right, I meet with a an incredible guy most Thursday nights, um, between Wednesdays and Thursdays, I should say, and um, it was a powerful session. It was deep, and he looked at he looked at me at the end. And he said, I want you to know that I believe in you with all my heart and I'm committed to you. That's all he said. And it was like a hot butter, or excuse me, a hot knife through butter. Hmm. I mean, it melted me. I needed those words at that specific time. Hmm. Simple words, but incredibly effective because in the place that I had expressed vulnerability, he met me and said, I see you. I see mm. you, 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 you don't have to work anymore for what you already have. And for me, one of the greatest challenges as a one, when the strength of helping others and improving is overextended and becomes perfectionism, I have a tendency to work for things that I already possess, love, mm. belonging, and you know you mentioned uh, uh you know i think well w one message that ones also need to hear is you are good and yeah. it doesn't mean moral necessarily morally good or or and, and i'm so the, when I'm, I'm i'm talking about goodness capital yeah. g here right like you are fundamentally good you, you are not a mistake you are not uh it's just a very powerful message for ones that's the message that that ones need to hear you you are good you also mentioned vulnerability which is something on the transformational path everyone has to work on mm -hmm. because vulnerability the ability to say um i made mm -hmm. a mistake mm -hmm. i i you know because the one is afraid if the self-pressed one is like if i'm not perfect right then if i if i come out and say i, I made a mistake they they feel like it's like admitting i am a mistake that's it and only the vulnerability is is going to heal that right so yeah, yeah. 
you actually, I, I can watch you right now, mm. uh, which is not a benefit everybody has because this is not YouTube isn't always where they go to listen to this podcast. Um, on three occasions in this conversation, one, it was obvious. Two other times, it was just a look on your face, and the therapist and me kind of leaned in and, and kind of connected with it. You've been very emotional. Mm-hmm. One was when uh, I can't remember what what the first one was, but it, you yourself even said this makes me emotional. And then the, the other one was when you were talking about the, what this man said to you. You, mm-hmm. you took your face became emotional, and there was one other time. I don't, I can't remember when it was. What were you feeling? Seen. Keep going. Mm. I'm okay just just as I am, right? I don't have to submit my resume Mm -hmm. to people I've just met in order to be welcomed to have a seat at the table. Mm. Okay. And um, what am... What was the the emotion you felt? Can you name the emotion you felt? Seen seen is not an emotion. It's a very powerful word. And but what was the emotion you felt when you felt seen? Rested and peaceful. Okay. Um, loved, appreciated. Okay. Loved, appreciated. Um, belonging. Yeah. Again, you know, when you think about feelings, though, as things like grief sadness, joy. Um, Can you give me a feeling word? Yeah, I would say joy, although I've never correlated that with what I've expressed. But now that you're kind of probing me, Ian, I'm going, yeah, I think it is joy. And here's why. Because joy allows me to appreciate and value myself for not doing anything other mm-hmm. than being true to myself. Right. Like my, my accomplishments, my, the things I do are so secondary, but for so long I've lived according to the narrative that says, when you do, if you do well, then you're good. Now, no one really imposed that on, on me. But I think again, back to what we talked about, it's it's the it's the nature of the trauma that programmed in that motivation. Hmm. Hmm. So I think probably right now there's a good number of listeners who are thinking, this guy sounds like a three. Right? Because what you've expressed a lot of times was um if I succeed if i you know my accomplishments right you know then i will be loved um and i'm not saying you are a three but the question i have for you is how would you help them see that you are a one not a three like what is the difference between you and a three the best way I can describe it, and I'm probably not going to do a great job at this. So forgive me in advance, but I I've not ever found myself motivated to chameleon myself, perhaps in, in some ways that the three does, you know, uh, and what I understand about people dominant in three is they can almost chameleon themselves to their peers, their environment, whatever they need to be for that setting. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, 
I'm me, but I just, the, the inner critic drives me to say, work harder, work harder, work harder, work harder, work harder, work harder, work harder. Maybe right. you'll be seen. So I think that'd be the difference. There is the achievement. You know, I'm a, in strengths finder, achievement is, is a top five strength. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I am motivated by that, much like the three. But I've never felt my, I've never felt motivated to chameleon myself to adapt. I'm like, no, here, here's me. But the, the hamster wheel on the inside is saying, if you want to sustain this, like once you're in the door, Chris, if you want to stay in, <laughs> you've just got to keep working hard. Mm -hmm. You've got to work, 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 work. You've got to prove, you've got to achieve, you've got to hit the number, whatever it may be. In my yeah, mind, that's how I would differentiate. But again, I, yeah. I don't know if I've done a good job with that. No, I think you did. But, you know, the unconscious motivation of that three is um, I, they have a compulsive need to succeed, to appear successful, and to avoid failure at all costs. For mm -hmm. the one, it would be I have a need to perfect myself, others, and the world. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you're, which do you, do you resonate more with the one? Or, or that three? Because sometimes threes and ones get confused because they both have a high level of commitment to doing and toward, you know, um, toward excellence. You know, I, you know that's I'll, all I was. I'll say it this way, Ian, because, and, and correct me if I'm wrong in how I'm coming to this conclusion, but I say one and here's why, because I see more resonance with a nine wing and a two wing than I do a two wing and a four wing. Now, okay, I, good. I, I know as a one in a path of integration, I'm going to go to a healthy seven. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not doing so hot, I disintegrate to the unhealthy side of a four. But I just in a space of wholeness and back to your question about integration in a place of integrity, I see the nine and the two poke out in, in interesting experiences in life. Fantastic. I wouldn't just to be clear to everyone listening. I'm not saying you are a three, totally. but, but, but it's, it, I, I want them to see that there's no such thing as a pure type. There's no such thing. Mm -hmm. So it, when you begin to think there's a pure type, mm -hmm. then everyone's a box. Right. And if you don't, you know, if you sound a little three-ish, then everybody's like, well, maybe he's a three or, you know, <laughs> so I'm not saying you're a three. Yeah. What I'm saying is, is that we're complicated. You know, and it, it can take a long time to for many of our folks who are listening to discern type because, the, you know, they'll, they'll see features and everything, you know, and 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 sometimes it just takes a while to land. And that's that's fine. It's 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 not a bad thing. You know, Ian, can I clarify something? Because I'm just curious about this. Having poked the three box. This is perhaps what sort of led me to believe that I was a six early on. I've never desired to like to be the spotlight or surprise birthday parties actually freak mm -hmm. me out. I would much rather be the guy who lifts others up. Yep. Is it true that threes actually want that? You know, I love public speaking. I hate small talk as an introvert. Right. I love mm -hmm. public speaking. Right. I hate small talk, but even in the place of the six, I've thought, you know, I want to lift other people up. Right. I don't know. So there is a three that you're describing. Okay. And it's called, it's called the sexual three or the oh. one to one three. 
And the one, let me just sort of give you, you want, you want a little snapshot of the, I, of the, yeah, of the one it. to one three mm-hmm. or the sexual three? Sure. So um, they um, are a little preoccupied with culting, cultivating a desirable image for a, a real or potential mate, mm. right? Uh, and so they, they, a lot of times they'll be more concerned with working out, uh, how they dress, uh, how they appear. When they walk into a room, they're less concerned with fitting into the group than they are with finding one other person with whom they can connect. And they'll sit all night long trying to you know, connect with that person. They, a social three would be much more concerned with the group. How do I work the group? How, where do I fit in the group? Am I at the top of the food chain or at the bottom of the food chain? Because they tie, they tie survival to the group. Yes. And they want to be valuable to the group because they think that the group will be there for them to help them survive. The, 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 the one-to-one three is going to be more concerned with a significant other, significant friend, significant partner, because they, they tie their survival to, the, to their mate, right, or, or to their friend, okay? Um, so for them, um, you know, they, they often project the, uh, the iconic image of their gender, and for them, desirability is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's the thing that they're really well known for, super well known for. For a social three, uh, success has to do with accomplishments. Okay. It has to do with achievement. It has to do with performing. It has to do with image. For the one-to-one three, and this is, this is why they're called the counter type, right? It's the upside down version of three. They're not as interested in being accomplished and achieved as everybody, as other types of threes might be. They're much more concerned about helping others succeed. And they, they are very concerned with it because for them, who needs to achieve when I've accomplished the image of the one who helps someone else succeed? D- does that make sense? Completely. Yeah, and, that's fascinating. Uh, yeah, and so... Uh, <sighs> You know, I think um, they have a, an, a underneath their image is a fear of rejection, of being found undesirable. And they, they have a strong need to uh, help an, a, a, an other person. Like they make great managers. Yes. Like in the entertainment world, they, they make great managers, right? Uh, and oftentimes the uh, uh, one to one three will be confused with a six. So, uh, you know, the high end of six where that person is all about, um, I don't need to drive the bus. I can help others become a success. So anyway, this is how the Enneagram gets complicated. And and this is why subtypes are so darn important. Uh, Because, you know, uh, there were times in our conversation today when I thought, hmm, there's another possibility here, which is that there's a one to one three in the room. I'm not saying you are, but it's right. just helpful for people to say, if they feel like they're in that space, go look at one, go, you know, go, go look at a one-to-one three, go look at, go look at a, a self-press, you know, uh, six. Is that what you thought you were? Was a self-press six or a social? Yeah. Six? yeah it's self-press. Yeah. Okay. So again, I, I'm just, I'm throwing it out there just for the sake of, you know, educating uh, listeners about stuff, but that one-to-one, yeah. because it's called a subtype, 
is very different looking than the social one, which is the iconic the so social three, which is very much the iconic three. Hmm. So everybody should, you know, again, check it out, check it out. So anyway, Chris, this has been fantastic, mm -hmm. rich conversation. Can you just tell everybody where they can learn more about what you're doing, you know, your social channels, all that stuff. I want them to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I host a podcast called Win Today with Christopher Cook. It's a, it's a weekly podcast. You can find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, wherever podcasts are available. I actually just started bringing it to YouTube and video as well which has been a fun journey. Um, wintoday.tv is, is the home base for the blog, for the podcast, for show notes, etc. And then you can find me on Instagram at 00chriscook. I'm also on Facebook at, uh, at just look up Christopher Cook and, and you'll find me there. Great. Thank you, man. Thank All you, right. thank you, thank you. Rich conversation. Love having me some ones mm. on the show. And Anthony, yes. you know how I'm going to close this out, don't you? Be yourself. Everybody else is already dead. Until next time.